0: Hello, friends. Thanks for joining us on Hope Through the Fire, the podcast that shares stories of folks who faced great trials but found lasting hope through Christ and his word. This is episode 22, and we're so glad that you've taken the time out of your busy schedule to listen, and we pray this episode will be a great blessing to
1: you. Yes, friends, that is has been our prayer since we started the podcast. We obviously are not doing this for fame or fortune. Nope. Um, our, we would sadly fail, Uh, but we want to provide you with a strong biblical content to help you through your fire that you're going through and point you to the greatest source of all comfort, and that's Jesus Christ.
0: On today's episode, we're going to do a little change. We're going to um, call an audible. Last time in our episode, we announced that we were going to continue going through Paul David Tripp's book on suffering, but today we are going to interview our friend Brady Cone from Calibrate Ministries. And if you remember way back to episode 10, we interviewed our friend Seth Alcorn and Seth introduced us to Brady. And I'm so thankful for that introduction because Brady's story will speak to you in a tremendous way. We're going to hear about how Brady went through a fire as a younger man of being trapped in a a homosexual lifestyle and how he found freedom in Christ.
1: And we're going to hear how Brady found not only his freedom in Christ, but he found his identity in Christ. Brady and the ministry that he started is dedicated to sharing a gospel message of hope, by delivering teaching and training the body of Christ on the issue of sexual brokenness. He speaks at churches and he's also started a podcast called The Great Exchange. His speeches and his podcasts provide people with the tools um, that equip the church being confronted by the onslaught of the LGBTQ agenda.
0: And what's greatly impressed me about uh, his approach is that it's, and as he proclaims the truths of God's word, it's It's done in a really gracious Mm -hmm. manner. I've been so impressed as I've been getting to know Brady, listening to his heart for souls who need Jesus, whether they're heterosexual or homosexual, because all people need to find freedom from sin through Jesus Christ.
1: Yes. But before we get into our interview today, which I'm so excited to hear, we want to just give another shout out to our friends, Joel and Kelly from Cocoa Bean and Butter Company. And if you go to cocoabeanandbutter.com and you use the promo code HTTF2022, you will get 10% off of your online purchase. And summertime is coming. So if you're wanting to get an order, you've probably should do it quickly because once probably around may they have to stop shipping things because it will melt yeah. and you will get a puddle of chocolate rather than some delicious chocolate, but they have a new delicious thing.
0: Yeah. It was a, uh, uh, they let us try it. It was a little, uh, they, they gave us a whole package a whole of sample, it. Yeah.
1: And it was so
0: good. It's called the Rocky top tortoise. It's made with peanuts butter caramel, and marshmallow topped with milk or dark chocolate, whichever one you like. And then it has some gourmet sea salt on the top. I ate that thing. And my dad used to have this crazy saying that if you put some of that on your nose, your tongue will beat your brains out trying to eat it. That thing was so stinking good.
1: It is so good. And it sounds like if you're not a mar- if you think, oh, I'm not really a marshmallow fan, don't, don't discount it because don't like marshmallows it's delicious. it's delicious i don't really like peanuts in my desserts but it was so good something about the salty and the sweet and the chocolate all together so so good
0: good stuff
1: but if you place your order online joel and kelly will also donate 10 percent of the purchase to the morning center which is a pregnancy crisis center so your purchase of the best chocolate in the world will also go to help a worthy cause
0: so with that we want to provide enough time for our interview with brady Cohn. I've been listening to his podcast, reading up on some things that he's doing, doing my homework, and uh, man, I, I've I've really enjoyed getting to know him. We've talked a lot on the phone, and so I promise you, you're not going to be disappointed with what Brady has to say. I'm excited today, and, and I'm we're honored to share our interview with Brady Cohn with you.
1: So let's get started.
0: is hope through the fire a bi-weekly podcast that highlights the stories of people who have faced great trials but found lasting hope through christ and his word
1: we are bob and kelly and we are your host as we walk through these beautiful stories of hope god has become so real to us through some of our own personal trials and we want to help you find that same joy even in difficult times
0: we believe these stories will inspire you to look for the beauty in the ashes and experience god's grace Brady, welcome to the podcast. We're delighted to have you, my friend. Tell us a little bit about yourself currently. Where are you living and what do you do?
2: Thank you so much, Bob and Kelly. I'm so grateful to be here. I've loved your podcast over the last few months. I've been encouraged and challenged by it, and I'm so uh, just honored to be a part of it. So I live in Enumclaw, Washington. I'm originally from Nebraska, so I still kind of bleed Husker red through and through, but my wife and I live in Washington now. My wife is Mary. We have just one little girl so far. Her name is Rowan. She's just a little over a year old, so she's at that phase where she's moving all the time, but she (laughs) is a sweetheart, and uh, we we love her dearly. Then we also have, do have lots of pets. Uh, So my wife, uh, when we before we got married, the rule was that we can't have a dog because she doesn't allow animals in the house. <laughs> ah, no any animal except for a dog, and so I got all the animals except for a dog <laughs> birds, so, fish, cats. Yes, uh huh. And so, uh, so we Girl. have two cats, uh, and we have about 30 chickens, oh, and then my I have three miniature donkeys. What? And so we have about six little miniature donkeys cool and i have a whole flock of sheep and so no uh, we have way. a bunch of uh little lambs that have been born in the last couple of weeks and so of course wow. they waited until wow. i was traveling and on on the road to make their
1: appearances but are, know, they are they pets or are they for wool or what i mean what is your purpose for um, them so i mean
2: all for pets just really for the fun of it so no i'll way. be sharing them this spring uh and have some wool and my mother-in-law loves sheep and she uh no, it does stuff with the wool. I don't know what all you do with that, but she yeah. loves the wool. And then, cool. uh, unfortunately, some will go to the butcher market, uh, and then some will be sold.
1: Okay. Wow. See, wow. You're like Noah's we have a busy place right here. So that's awesome. Yeah. It's yeah, a, it's
0: like Noah's Ark. You got all these animals. Yes,
1: huh? Are yes. any of the animals uh, in the house? I would assume not the sheep or the no, donkeys.
2: I, I sneak the cats in once in a while. Okay. Uh when, when Mary's not looking Sure. uh that that's it. So are you are you a
0: dog guy or do you like the cats better? If you could have a dog, would you do the dog?
2: I would definitely have a dog. Uh mm. and I'd want it to be an indoor dog, you know, where it's like for the family. But I, I'm really embarrassed to admit how much I do love my cat. Mm. So I'd always call well, myself a dog guy and I would still love a dog, but, uh, I'm pretty fond of the cat. But you too.
1: found out you're a cat guy too. You lost uh-huh, your man yeah. card.
0: Sorry, man.
2: Yes, I know. It's no, pretty I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs> Yep. There's probably a lot of our listeners who love cats and yeah. So yes. So it. shout
2: out to you guys. You guys don't get enough credit.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you have to hide behind the, the facade that you don't like cats to make you more manly.
0: Right. Yeah. There's been like a couple of times I've veered when a cat ran in a road, but, um, uh, yeah. but, but you veered uh-huh. not to hit them because right. yeah, not to hit them and yeah, not to hit them.
1: I was like, <laughs> yes. oh, wow. Clarify, uh, he was trying to miss uh, the cat. So I'm we, like, we he can do some discipleship
2: here if we need yes, to check for sure. <laughs> uh, That could be another episode. <laughs> yes, for
1: sure. Yeah. And so we're in Nebraska. So originally from
2: Taylor, Nebraska, which is central Nebraska, middle of nowhere is the whole county has 400 people. Um, The town has uh, only about 80 people. So it's a, it's a small little place.
1: Cool. I grew up in Des Moines, Iowa, and my sister lives in Omaha. My sister and her husband live in Omaha. So you all know,
2: you know, all about the corn and all that.
1: Yeah, but we never got much further west than Omaha. Maybe Lincoln oh, was as far west awesome. as we went. But we drove we drove out there one time through Nebraska and was fascinated. Like about halfway through Nebraska, the scenery, everything completely changes. Yes, and definitely. it looks like a whole different world. Like, where did, yep. where are we now? Through
0: like the foothills yep. of the Rockies. Yeah, you know, it was super yep, cool. Definitely.
1: It was fascinating. Yeah,
0: kind of a surprise to us. Yeah. Well, Brady, mm-hmm. I've heard your story uh, as I've been listening and reading some things. And I, it's been wonderful to hear how Christ has freed you from your life of same-sex attraction. And I was wondering if you could take some time and tell us about that process in your life, how, how you came to Christ and, and, and how he freed you from those things.
2: Absolutely. I'm so blessed to be able to share. Uh, uh, my story is full of so much of God's grace, and it's an honor to be able to share that with others. Uh, my, my story began several decades ago, growing up on a small farm in Nebraska. So I'm kind of coming back to my farm roots now with our little mm-hmm. farm, yeah. which I never thought I would do. But I was growing up on the, the farm in Nebraska, and I remember as a boy just gr- feeling different than the rest of the boys. I had an older brother and a dad at home. And I remember looking at them and saying, there's something about me that's different. There's something about me that mm-hmm. doesn't fit in. I can't quite relate to them. I don't connect with them when I'm around boys, men, I just felt like uh, that's a different world that I'm not a part of in some way. And I, I didn't mm-hmm. understand in what way that was. In the meantime, we were a church going family. We went to church on Sundays. We prayed before our meals with all those things that a small town church family is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the kind of this exterior image of We're we're doing the right things because small town, everyone knows everyone. Mm -hmm. So much of it becomes about that image and we're, we're doing all the right things. Well, years later, I'd figure out what that difference was when I was about 11 years old, you know, that's junior high age. uh, It's a difficult, horrible time for everyone. And so on on top of all the normal junior high, uh, just stuff that's happening to you was a really rough time in my life when my parents got a divorce. Mm -hmm. And so you know, many people have been through experiences like that. You know how painful it can be. And that's a really informative time in the young person's life Mm -hmm. Uh, about the age of 11 years old. They're still, they're trying to figure out so many things. So this was a very painful time for my whole family. And my, my parents went the whole through the whole divorce process and our family was pretty just shattered and confused. And the whole thing drug on for a few years. And so had a few years of just really chaos in my life. Mm. And it was during those years that i discovered maybe what was different about me it was during this time period when uh boys are starting to notice girls in ways they've never noticed girls before uh, girls all of a sudden go from having cooties to being kind of cute there's a <laughs> type of transformation mm-hmm. happening yeah, yeah. but i wasn't noticing those feelings towards girls i was actually starting to notice those feelings towards other boys kind of mm-hmm. this infatuation with them this curiosity this uh, just emotional draw towards them that turn into a physical draw towards them. And I was really confused about having those feelings. I, I didn't know why I was having those feelings. I grew up with enough church background to know that homosexuality was a sin, but I'd always grown up in some kind of very legalistic churches where it really was preached at from the standpoint of it's the one unforgivable sin. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so just yeah. the fact that I had these feelings just really consumed me with shame and guilt. Mm -hmm. I was really struggling with just why I could be having these feelings and what people would think of me. And overall, what does God think of this? Mm -hmm. So I went through several years of, of these feelings just growing and getting stronger. And and they started to consume more and more in my life, just as, uh, any, just things that we keep a secret started to fester inside and started to consume us. And that's really where I felt like I was. This is starting to consume me. And so after my parents' divorce, my family had really walked away from the church and walked away from Christianity because the image was blown knowing if your faith is about your image. And then you go through this, this crisis, Mm -hmm. like a divorce, uh, the image is blown. We're not this perfect Christian family. So we might as well quit trying to Mm -hmm. pretend. And so my Family had walked away from the church, but I kept going to youth group on Wednesday nights because, out of anyone in my family, I was the one who somehow had the most really curiosity towards God. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know God, I wanted to know who He was. And so I kept going to youth group on Wednesday nights. But when I was going to youth group, I had come to this breaking point where I said, I've got to tell someone. This is just consuming me. Mm-hmm. I have to tell someone. So I thought maybe I should tell a youth pastor or youth leader, a youth group. Well, before I got the courage that One Night Youth Group was a moment that forever changed my life, I'll never forget sitting there as a really hurting, confused 13-year-old when the youth pastor from the pulpit made the comment, he said, I wish all homosexuals would die. Wow. Wow. And that moment Mm. was just like a knife to my chest. Uh, I'll never forget sitting there really thinking that that's me. And Mm -hmm. for the first time I connected that, that that's me who he's talking about. And so I actually went home that night as a 13 year old and loaded a gun because we had guns in our house. I loaded a gun and it was going to end my life because what I was going through Mm -hmm. my mind was if it's God's will for all homosexuals to die at youth, like I heard a youth group, which how I was interpreting that because it Mm -hmm. came from the youth pastor from the pulpit, then I guess I will. And so I actually loaded wow. the gun when wow. uh, I was about to push the trigger when I heard my mom walk in the front door. And so I kind of came to my senses and I heard and put the gun underneath my bed before she found anything. So I obviously didn't in my life at night, but that was really the start of a downward spiral in my life. That was the moment I put up a wall mm-hmm. and I said, I guess I can't let anyone in. Yeah. I can't let anyone see what's going on inside of me. I have to hide it all. And that was the moment that I developed a very deep distrust towards Christians. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it'd be years till I stepped inside the doors of a church again. I didn't go back to youth group again. I didn't know how to process that, but I knew that I I can't go back there. Mm -hmm. And part of that was I was so determined, I guess I have to keep this hidden. And Mm -hmm. so if I'm close to those people, I can't keep it hidden from them. Mm -hmm. And so that was sort of a downward spiral through my teenage years where I was really struggling with these feelings and these desires. And it was soon after that, that youth group incident, which I discovered online pornography for the first time. And when I discovered online porn, I was instantly hooked. And I was hooked not just because of the, the sexual desire. But I was so desperate to find a place where I felt understood, where I felt like I belonged, where there's people who had other, the, the same feelings as I did. And I found that in this online world of darkness, these people, it, it, they understood me. They wanted the same things as me. And I felt so much comfort in that. And I, I longed for that so deeply. Mm-hmm. And so after I got into the, into this world of online pornography, which was pretty new, this was you no know, 20 years ago in small town, mm-hmm. Nebraska. Uh, but just like most sexual addictions do that start out with thoughts and feelings and then uh than pornography, what I'm seeing on the screen is not enough. And so I started to find encounters with other men. And this was 20 years ago in small town Nebraska, mm-hmm. where the LGBT community was not out in public at all. Mm-hmm. But I could still get online any night of the week and find a sexual encounter with another man. And mm-hmm. so I started to experiment that with with that. And um, and some of those were much older men, which I now know is abuse. And Mm -hmm. I now know it was very illegal, but I was seeking it out because I was so desperate for that attention and affirmation from someone Mm -hmm. that I was seeking that out. Then I started to experiment with same-sex relationships and what does it look like to have a relationship with someone? And part of that felt really great. Uh, I remember some days waking up in the morning as a teenager, feeling like, I can't go the rest of my day without fulfilling these desires. Mm-hmm. And so I'd find a way of doing that. And part of it in the moment felt great, but I was really struggling because I was struggling with what does this mean for my life? What does this mean for my future? Uh, can I ever have a family and be married and, and have kids? Can, is any of that possible for me? And, and mm-hmm. so I was really wrestling with that. And our culture was starting to talk about these issues a lot more but where our culture was saying was that if you're attracted to the same gender, you're gay and that's who you are. And that's who you have to be. And Mm -hmm. you're just born that way. And in some ways that made sense because it felt like I was just born this way. I didn't wake up one day and choose to have these feelings Mm -hmm. They developed over so much time that it's like, well, I guess that's true. I guess I am born this way. And so by the time I, graduated from high school, I really just accepted my identity as a gay man, and this is who I is, am, this is who I have to be, so I have to figure out how to just be happy accepting this life, mm-hmm. but I was also on this spiritual journey because I was asking deep questions of God, and I was, I was wrestling with God, and I was asking questions like, all right, God, uh, if you're a loving God, how could you have created me in a way because it felt like that way. It felt like I was created this way. So how could a loving God create me in a way that's going to condemn me to hell? Mm. Wow. And I was, I was wrestling through those things and the only, and obviously doing that outside of the church and outside of Christian community. Uh, and the only answers I could come up with were that either God is not a loving God or there's no God at all.
3: Mm. Mm.
2: And so that's the conclusion I'd come to by the time I graduated from high school. I mm-hmm. I wanted to know God, but I thought that God can't love me. And so if God created me in a way that he can't love me, then, then he's definitely not a loving God. Mm-hmm. And so I went off to college in Nebraska, I went to a small college called Shattern State College, up in the middle of nowhere. And I'll never forget the first day I pulled up to campus to, to move into my dorm, the dorms on campus. There was this group of guys standing there who to helped me unload my stuff and move into my dorm room. And I thought that was so remarkable. It turns out it was that typical, you know, church college ministry outreach to the mm-hmm. new freshmen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But to me that was like, Oh, that's so amazing that they would, they'd mm-hmm. help me. And so they helped me move in. And they also invited me to a ministry that I met on campus on Wednesday nights. And I showed up to that ministry a first Wednesday night, not because I was walking with God, but because I really wanted a place where I could meet people. And I was kind of a loner. I had a hard time making friends and uh, I still kind of had this Christian image thing going on where I want people to think that I'm a good Christian person Mm. because at that time in our culture, that was still advantageous to Mm. be identified as a Christian. Mm -hmm. And so I showed up to a ministry that first Wednesday night and it was great. It's like uh, there was a worship band and um, I'm sure the gospel was preached. And I faithfully showed up every Wednesday night for two years. Hmm. Not because anything I heard from the pulpit because every time I heard the gospel preached, I always thought that doesn't apply to me. God Mm -hmm. can't love me. God can't love me with these desires and with with these issues in my life. With the life that I'm living in the gay community, there's no way that God can love me. Hmm. But I continued to show up every Wednesday night because of some of the relationships I built there. Hmm. There's this group of upperclassmen men just started to invest in me. They started to pursue me. They started to invite me into their community. They started to serve me in just some really radical ways and ways that people had never just loved and served me before. One of the guys, Brandon, he changed the starter of my car in the middle of the night in the dorm parking lot. So I could get wow. home the next day. These guys were just loving me and pursuing me. there's something so intriguing about them. There's something intriguing about their faith that I had never experienced in a group of Christians. And I later realized is that they were so real and authentic and honest about their sin and their struggles, but they weren't just authentic for the sake of authenticity. They were authentic for the sake of repentance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they loved yeah. Jesus enough mm-hmm. and God's word enough that wow. they weren't just real about their sin. Yeah. but did let them to repentance. Mm-hmm. And they were, they were so open about that, that I could see Jesus transforming them from the inside out. Wow. And that kept me drawn into them. So, so intrigued by that. And yeah. then They went to so much work to keep me uh, drawn into their community. And then they asked me spiritual questions and I had enough church background to know the answers mm-hmm. that the, you know the right answers that they want to hear. Yeah. And they could tell that something wasn't adding up in my life, mm-hmm. that there's something that I was holding back without not telling them, but, uh, but they were, they were, just patient with me. And they continued to pursue me. They continued to love me. They continued to just bring me into this community. And I hadn't realized over those two years how God was using them to soften my heart. Well, over those two years, I was also getting deeper and deeper into the LGBTQ life. And in a small town, Nebraska, it was still, like I said, much more underground, but it was there. And I was I was in relationships with other, other men. And but I was going through those relationships, just feeling more and more broken. I remember mm. the more I had of it, the more it felt like I needed, the more it felt like I had to have. And then the more of it I got, it's like mm. I'm still not satisfied. And I remember walking away from relationships uh, and sexual encounters and feeling like this was supposed to be freeing, mm. this was supposed to give me freedom. But I feel so enslaved to this. I feel so enslaved to getting more. And like, what's the what's the problem? What, what am I doing wrong? Hmm. Because this had promised to bring me freedom if I only just accepted this and lived this. Wow. And then I'd walk away from those encounters and those relationships feeling this isn't doing for my soul what it had promised to do for my soul. It's not making me feel loved the way that it was supposed to make me feel loved. And so as I was going down this journey with the Christians on one side of my life and God was using them to show me a different Christianity. I was also feeling more and more let down and frustrated and hurt by the gay life I was living. Feeling like this is never going to be enough.
3: Hmm.
2: So I came to a place after my sophomore year where I really felt hopeless because I felt like that life has failed me. It is not done for me. What is promised not to provide peace for my soul like it had promised. But here I'm hopeless because I really put all the chips on the table that that life is going to make me happy. That's what's going to do it. If I just have enough of it, that's what is going to make me happy and give me peace. And it had been the opposite of that. So here I was hopeless again Mm because that's what I put my hope in. And it was letting me down. It It was failing me. I was feeling wounded by people in that community. And so where was I to go from here when I put all my hope into living that life? And it was, uh, it was letting me down. I I felt so hopeless that I was suicidal again. I was Mm -hmm. like, I can't go on. That was the one option it felt like I had. And now it's failing me. The people there are failing me. Uh, they're, they're, They're not loving me the way that they promised to love me. And so I decided as I was contemplating suicide, because I thought I had no other choice I decided that before I, in my life, I want to tell one of my Christian friends about this double life I'm living, the secret life, which it turns out it wasn't as secret as I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, they knew a little bit more than, than, than really? they had let on. Um, yeah. And they were trying to figure out how to navigate that. Mm. But I decided that I want to tell one of them because it was going to be affirmation that my Christian friends, this group of guys who have been loving me, they don't actually love me.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: There's going to be affirmation that they love the person they think I am. They love the image I've portrayed to them. But if they knew what was going on inside of me, if they knew the real life I was living, there were, there's no way that they're, they're, they would actually love me. And so this is going to reveal that they don't love me either. And therefore, I felt the freedom that I'm going to end my life because it's going to be the proof and the validation that I need that no one loves me. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so I told my friend, Lex, I I brought up the courage and it was a big moment, uh, sat in my stepdad's living room and I poured out my heart, everything to him. I I told him about the sexual encounters, uh, the, the gay pornography relationships, there was prostitution involved in there. There was some, some messy, messy stuff. And I actually had a gun loaded in my room. Mm -hmm. I said, after he rejects me, that's going to be the proof that I need. And that's 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 going to be the end of my life uh, because it's going to be the proof that my Christian friends don't don't actually love me. Well, I'm still alive today, so mm. obviously, Lex didn't reject me.
3: Mm. Oh, said the Lord for that. Added.
2: I know, right? Uh, and we're we're still friends to this day. Uh, wow. I'll never that's forget awesome. this moment where I poured out my heart to him, all these things that I I've been doing and the way I've been living. He walked across the living room gave me this big hug and said, Hey man, uh, it's going to be okay. I love Uh you. And God's grace is sufficient. And your, your sin is no better worse than my sin. And we're going to get through this together. Hmm. And that just, that's, those words blew me away. I never imagined a Christian of all Mm -hmm. people will respond like that. Hmm. And I was just blown away by that. And I obviously did in my life, uh, I, I kept contemplating that and I kept thinking about this moment with Lex uh, for three days. I, ke- I couldn't get that out of my mind. And what kept going through my mind, which now I know was the Holy Spirit working mm-hmm. my life, uh, what ke- was going through my mind was it can't be Lex who loves me. That has to be the Jesus I see in Him who loves me. Wow. Because for two wow. years, I've been able to see Jesus working in His life. Because wow. He had been, He loved God's word so much and He'd been so open about. His own struggle and his sin, but not just open about it, but, but repentant of it. Mm-hmm. I could see Jesus transforming his life and I could see Jesus so strongly in his life that I, I, I knew that can't be a person could not love me that well. I'd never experienced that type of love from a person I said that has me the Jesus I'd see in him who loves me. Wow. So because of that, three days later on June 21st, 2006, I fell to my knees in repentance towards Christ. Oh, praise you know, the Lord. I had real, because I was convinced for the first time that Jesus loves me, that, mm-hmm. that, that God still has a plan for my life, that he can still love me despite what I'm doing. Oh. And I didn't know what this was going to look like. And, you know, I had always called myself a Christian, even though I was pretty angry and bitter towards God at times and had really walked away from him. I always called myself a Christian. and Many times as a child, especially as a teenager, I prayed over and over again, for God to take the struggle away. I'd Mm -hmm. stay up all night praying for it. And God had never done that. But what I realized in this moment was that my faith had only been my terms and conditions. Mm -hmm. It'd been my demands on God. It'd been me telling God, okay, God, I'll follow you, but I demand that you take these feelings away, that you take this struggle away, that you give me a wife a house with a white picket fence and the whole american dream. Yeah, yeah. that's what i demand of you god. Mm-hmm. yeah. so my my faith was nothing more than my demands on god. but i came to a place where it felt like everything was falling apart and i have nothing left but i have god's grace that's mm-hmm. all i needed. so i felt my knees and said, "all right god, this so this was my even if moment. i said, "even mm-hmm. if i've never accepted in the church even if I'm never in a relationship with another person even if it cost me everything I know I have your grace and that's mm-hmm. enough so I, I choose to follow you and so I, I got on my knees and had one of these and it's not covered tear-filled moments of repentance at the cross of Christ because wow. I had nothing left but his grace but it was apparent that his grace was all that I needed
0: Wow man that is that's a beautiful beautiful story man that that is. I'm um, bringing me to tears here, hearing how yeah, God changed your life.
2: I was overwhelmed by God's grace, but that doesn't mean that it got easy. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, I had a lot to wrestle through, but I had these guys in my life. And so I, I went and told the rest of my Christian community about the, the life I've been living and trying to, and that I had I, come to know the Lord and I was trusting in, in God and salvation through Christ alone. And I trust that God had a plan for me, but this is the life that I'm living. And they all responded with the same amount of love and grace as, as Lex had. And they started to read God's word with me. They started to pray with me. You know, this was small town, Nebraska, uh, 20 years ago. These guys did not know another gay person. They had never known someone with same-sex attraction. They would not heard this talked about or preached mm-hmm. about. They knew nothing about it. And I, I, that's so remarkable because right now, I work on equipping the church to walk alongside those with same-sex attraction. Mm-hmm. And these guys had had no equipping, but what they did know was that God's word has the answers for everything in life. Yes. So they started to read God's word with me and they started to to process what was happening in my life. And I have to be honest that uh, those first few months, there was a lot of emotional vomiting because I had held in a lot Mm -hmm. over 20 years of my life. And now for the first time I had this community that is loving me unconditionally that I can share anything with them. Wow. I can share what I'm feeling in this moment and what I'm, I, I, I did last night and the week before and the month before and the year before I can share all this junk and they still love me. And so there was a lot of emotional vomiting those first mm-hmm. few weeks and months, but they loved me and they prayed with me and they started to read God's word with me. And they, they were listening to what was going on and trying to understand so that they could apply the gospel to it. And my life started to change. And, you know, I I would love to sit here tonight and just claim that my life changed because God took the struggle away and he took the feelings away. He didn't do that. And I feel like the goal that most of Christianity has for people like me before they even know Christ is to convince us to go from gay to straight. Like that's kind of the goal Mm -hmm. of of someone like me. But the transformation my life That summer wasn't from gay to straight, it was from lost to saved. Mm -hmm. That God stepped into my life that summer, He stepped into my soul and He rescued me for eternity. And that is so much better Mm -hmm. than just, and so much more remarkable than just external behavior change. Yeah. Yeah. But as I fell in love with Jesus and the the Jesus I found in God's word and I started to read scripture, then my life started to change. Mm -hmm. Then I started to change the way I was living. And I was still, I was combing scripture that summer because I was trying to find a way to get off the hook because it's like, well, I still have these feelings. I still have these desires. So maybe I can continue to live in disobedience uh, and uh, and still have Jesus because his grace is sufficient, right? But as I was combing scripture, I couldn't find any justification to continue to live that life. And and I was coming across passages like in First Peter where it says, be holy as I am holy. And I knew that God has revealed this truth to me that he created marriage between one man and one woman for a lifetime. And I don't know what it's going to look like in my life, because I can't imagine walking away from that life. I couldn't imagine it because it felt like my whole life evolves around that. That's everything in my life. It's my relationships. It's how I see people. It's my community. It's it's so much of my life. It's my identity. And so how do I walk away from that? But thankfully, I had the conviction from God that his grace is sufficient. And even though I don't know what it's going to look like tomorrow or Mm -hmm. next week or next month, I have the power inside of me with the Holy Spirit to be obedient today and God will figure out the tomorrow. So I became convicted that I'm going to be obedient to what God is calling me to today, which is walking away from homosexuality. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what that's going to look like tomorrow or the week after that that God will give me the grace then, just as he get, he's given me the grace today. So I started this downward journey of, of, of walking with the Lord and have letting the Lord start to untwist what my heart had twisted and understand what uh, my heart had twisted, the lies that I had believed that had led me to that place. And that's been a long journey. It's been going on for 15 years now, and God is still And his grace revealing to me the lies that I had believed Mm -hmm. that had led me to homosexuality. And in Romans one, when it talks about a homosexuality, it's this progression. And it starts with, they traded God's truth for a lie Yeah. because of that, they worship creation instead of the creator. And that led them to worshiping images of God Mm -hmm. instead of worshiping God himself. And it's interesting. Sexual sin is really the worship of people and people Mm -hmm. are made in the image of God. So so God showing me how I was worshiping people, I was worshiping his creation mm-hmm. by trying to acquire something from them. Mm-hmm. And and he started undo those layers of my heart. And through his grace, I had the power of the Holy Spirit to change how I was living. But then he sent sent me down this road of sanctification, of uh through his grace again revealing lie after lie that I had believed that had led me to that place. And mm-hmm exchanging them back for his truth. And people believe lies. I had believed so many lies, but God is faithful to exchange them back for his truth. And he's been doing that in my life for 15 years now.
0: Wow. That's so beautiful. I love how your emphasis on, on your same sex attraction is not the identifying mark um, in your life, but your emphasis, as I've been listening to you talk, not just now, but in, in other, other avenues and other mediums, but I've been hearing the emphasis is that your your identity is in Christ, and I, absolutely. I was I was listening to that today. Uh, I think it was episode four or five of your podcast, mm-hmm. and you were, you were talking about the identity in Christ, and I loved how you you develop that thought and what that really means to be have that yeah. identity in Christ. Do you mind talking about that and go a little deeper? Yeah,
2: absolutely. You know, uh, sometimes a lot of people ask me why is this sin of sexuality treated so differently in our culture than other mm-hmm. sins? Why are we being forced to celebrate it? Uh, Cause we're not forced to celebrate other sins. Right. And which I do give some pushback on that. And it's like, you know what? I, I do think that I've been forced to celebrate, celebrate gluttony at a church mm-hmm. potluck yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. over and over again. Mm-hmm. And we celebrate yep greediness and pride and yep. you know uh material possessions and it's like we do celebrate like we're just hard to those things and so mm-hmm. uh so i think that we need some perspective on yeah. um it's not just the lgbtq community that celebrates sins we've just many times seared our conscience towards other sins yeah, uh, but, but i do believe that uh what makes homosexuality so different is it's such a matter of identity mm-hmm. it doesn't just feel like This is something I'm doing. It feels like this is who I am. Mm -hmm. And it feels like I'm born this way. It feels like everything about me uh, evolves from that. Like, this is who I am. And it's my identity to the core. And I've never experienced any other sin, which I've experienced a lot of other sin, but no other sin that impacted your identity the way that that sexuality does. Mm. That's so deep and it's so all-encompassing that it, it truly feels like this is who I am. And so I didn't keep that with an open hand. I didn't know what to do that with that right away. But all I knew was that God's word has the answers for everything. And I was growing in my relationship with Christ. And so pretty soon, my identity in Christ started outweigh my identity in my sexuality. And my identity and sexuality started to become less and less important. It started to become less and less of who I am. So eventually, I realized that that's not what I should even have my identity in. That regardless of my feelings regardless of my attractions uh i'm defined by christ i'm not defined by the labels that society gives me i'm not even sometimes defined by the labels that the church gives me but mm-hmm. like my identity is in christ mm-hmm. and in christ alone yes. and that was really a a key moment in my, my sanctification, my walk with God to realize that this is not who I am. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's something I still struggle with at times. And, and I've still been having to wrestle through and God is still exchanging some of those lies for his truth and, and working on me. But regardless of what I'm struggling with in this moment, it is not who I am. And it is, does not define me. And mm-hmm. I think that's an important piece of discipleship, Christians with same-sex attraction is working through the identity and realizing you are so much bigger than your sexuality. Mm -hmm. You are so much bigger than those feelings. You are in Christ. And, and that means you have value through him, that he is the one who gives you your identity, not Mm -hmm. the feelings or attractions you're having in this moment. That's awesome.
1: That's That's great. great. That is really great. One beautiful aspect, aspect of your lectures and podcasts that we've appreciated is how gracious you are. When you're talking about what the bible says concerning same-sex attraction and i'm sure you 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 experienced both sides of that coin with the youth Absolutely. pastor being horrible to you and saying that people should should not even be, be alive to these christian men who were just kind to you even though they kind of knew what was going on um I have you experienced other difficulty even since coming to christ from religious people who maybe misinterpret your graciousness
3: yeah
1: as condoning people's lifestyles how do you respond to people like that who are harsh towards you and your ministry or to other people, you know, that have struggled with this?
2: Absolutely. And so this is my, my ministry is focused on not reaching LGBTQ people, but mm-hmm. equipping the church to do so. Sure. because The church is the body that Christ put on earth to make disciples. And so yeah. my, my role is to equip the body of Christ. And I've had uh, all those moments in churches where it feels like there's arrows from every direction. Mm-hmm. There's definitely arrows from the secular world, from the LGBTQ sure. community, that they, they hate people like me. They mm-hmm. disdain me because, because my life uh, really undercuts the foundation that they've mm-hmm. built their agenda on, sure. which is the premise right. yeah. that you're born this way and you have no choice.
3: Yep. And so and you can't get so out of it. Me, but
2: I actually expect that. It's like mm-hmm. we should expect non-believers yes. to, uh, to, to not love us. Mm-hmm. And so... I have compassion for them because I know that they have just not yet experienced the grace that has brought them to repentance Mm -hmm. and much of their hard heartedness is due to Christians Mm -hmm. and the way that Christians have treated them at times. So, so the LGBTQ world that, uh, many times treats me with a lot of hostility, uh, I, I, I have compassion for that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think where it's harder for me to navigate over the years is with inside the church, because, Mm -hmm. uh, with inside the church, It's still, it feels like arrows from every direction. Either you're uh, being too full of grace or you're being too this or you're being too that. And when I speak at churches now, there's still small towns where I speak at where um, people have the attitude that this type of thing should not even be talked about in a church. Mm -hmm. In fact, I got that last night at a speaking engagement uh, I spoke at at a church where it was a special event where they came to hear that, but they Mm -hmm. still were had a hard. time. We're giving the pastor a hard time afterwards. And really struggling wow. that, that we should wow. be talking about this, and and then I remember when the very first churches I spoke at and gave my testimony. this was long before I was administering this area. Mm-hmm. I just the pastor knew me and wanted me to uh, bring this topic to life to his congregation, and so and help equip them. So I shared my story, and one of the ladies in the church said that she just couldn't come to grips with the fact that I'm forgiven. Uh, wow. She just couldn't accept that. And so she yeah. actually left the church World. and it caused a little mini church split, wow. uh, like about a quarter of the church left because they said this shouldn't be talked about in the church. And we we can't believe that he's forgiven. And so, mm. and then there's parts of Christianity that have been swayed in the other direction on, sure. well, is this really a sin? Is this mm-hmm. really wrong? Uh, mm. And so, um, so it feels like Every time you talk about it, it's like it's walking on eggshells because there's mm-hmm. there's this whole spectrum. There's going to be some people in every spectrum, uh, in every audience, in every church, and there's going to be some arrows in every direction. Mm-hmm. But my response is that these people, they need grace. Yeah. And most of the time when I've experienced people in the church who are self-righteous, who are legalistic, it's because they have not yet experienced God's grace in some deep areas of their life. Yeah. Is so this attitude is coming from a place of self-righteousness
3: mm-hmm.
2: and to justify their own sin or to feel better about their own sin. We always have to have an enemy out there. Yeah. And so this has been an easy target for self-righteous Christians because uh, it can be an enemy out there that we're fighting against yep. uh, to, to kind of cover up our own sin. And so so even though I've, I've had some angry moments and sometimes we have to speak firmly to Mm -hmm. those people. And sometimes we have to, to uh, call them out on where they're at. I, my heart breaks for them because there's usually hurting and pain behind their self-righteousness. And so we walk along beside those people and, and, and bring them alongside us and help soften their hearts and uh, really equip them to walk alongside others. And sometimes that might be, dealing with their own life, Mm -hmm. dealing with their self-righteousness, the lies that they've believed that are behind that
1: wow i just love that like you just showed you like a picture of grace you yeah. experience grace and you have learned how to give grace in turn and i just think that's beautiful that's something that a lot of people have a hard i still have a hard Thank time you. with that sometimes Just giving that same grace that i have received yeah, yeah. But I think and, that's and i have to
2: navigate that in every church i've ever been a part sure. of because eventually people are going to find out especially when this is my ministry yeah and so it's like uh Uh, and I've, I've had very gracious churches and I've always had a supportive leadership of the churches, but there's people who Mm -hmm. feel uncomfortable around me in my own church uh, because of this past that I've had. And, Mm. you know, they still talk about these issues in ungracious ways Mm -hmm. that it's an Mm -hmm. opportunity to come along beside them and help grow them and, Mm -hmm. uh, and be a part of their sanctification. And so um, we, we don't, you we have to proceed in these issues with having a thick skin but a soft yeah. heart and yeah. not becoming embittered towards people whether it's the secular world out there or the brothers and sisters that we're trying to do life with who still wow. don't understand
1: that's
0: beautiful it that is having a thick skin and a soft heart i love that that is so mm-hmm. beautiful how would you say um, the starting point is for someone who is trying to defend the biblical view of uh, God's design for marriage. You know, there's, yeah. there's a lot of it's places you can go. Um, yeah. And even, even on the other side, somebody who's, who's strong and in in, in affirming the LGBTQ uh, lifestyle, you know, where do you start to help them? So, know?
2: yeah, great question. So let's, let's go to the first part of that. How do we uh, help Christians defend truth? Mm-hmm. You know, many times when I go to churches uh, I'm, they come, they have me come to, Try to figure out how do we respond to the culture out there. And and I, I like to reframe that conversation because our response starts in here in the church because we've all twisted sexuality in some way. And so many times within uh, the body of Christ, the the attitude is still, look at the gay community out there. Look how they're ruining the sanctity of marriage. I hear that all the time. They're ruining the sanctity of marriage. And I I look at the congregation and say, you know what? I'm pretty sure that heterosexuals have done a really good job of that over the last hundred years through no fault divorce and cohabitation and pornography and all kinds of sex outside of marriage. And so our response to the culture out there starts in here in the church by Mm -hmm. repenting of how we've twisted marriage. Because we, many times as I've discipled, guys who have struggled with same-sex attraction. And I see the idolatry in their heart of worshiping people. Mm-hmm. And I've discipled heterosexual guys. I was in college ministry for many years and discipling college college men who were completely straight heterosexual. And I saw that behind their heterosexual attraction is some of the same idolatry. Yep. The right. same idolatry of Absolutely. looking to a person for my hope, for my wholeness, for my value. So really where we're at as a culture with the LGBTQ movement is really just a capstone on a culture that worships people Mm -hmm. and we find our hope and our value through people. And so so I I want to equip congregations by uh, helping them know that our response starts in here and it starts with a with an attitude of mourning and humility. Because we should mourn our culture out there because we see people who have not yet yet experienced the grace that we have Mm -hmm. to have a transformed life. And it should come from a place of humility, knowing that we are just as undeserving of God's grace as they are.
1: Yeah. know, When
2: I'm standing before a congregation, one of the things I've been hearing a lot is that we live in a kind of an outrage culture where we're always expressing outrage. There's the outrage of the day. And, and we just kind of feed in that outrage. We're so outraged by, by things happening in our culture. And one of those comments I hear a lot is, you know, you'll see two, two men who are, you know, in a, a relationship or a same-sex marriage and they adopt a child. And, uh, and I see Christians outraged by that. And they say, this child was not meant to have two dads. And I respond to that with, Do you know, who else who else has two dads? the child whose parents got a divorce and mom got remarried and now he has dad and stepdad. Uh, and there's, and,
3: but there's no outrage for that. that. Yeah.
2: And when I, when I speak about that in churches, it's like, there's grace for that. Mm -hmm. So many of you guys in this church are in that position. You've dealt with divorce dysfunction and you have wounded families and, and children outside of marriage and where the ideal is lacking. God's grace is sufficient for you Mm -hmm. to, Move forward in God's grace, uh, regardless of how you've blown it and how you've, uh, you know, really desecrated the the image that God had in marriage. That you've ruined the safety of marriage. But God's grace is sufficient for each and every one of you in this right. room, and God's grace yes. is sufficient for your for your gay and lesbian neighbor. Yeah. And so let's let's start by reframing the conversation to uh, not make it about firing arrows Mm -hmm. at our gay and lesbian neighbors and coworkers, family members, but really be transformed in our own sexuality in their own marriages. So that we have hope to offer the world around us Mm -hmm. so we can enter into these people's lives and, and declare the hope of the gospel to them.
1: Wow. That's good. That is great. That's great. So the next question I have for you, I think I have two questions. Um, The first one would be, how can you, what would you say to the eight-year-old boys, the 11-year-old boys, the 13-year-old boys who are struggling with this? I know you kind of already talked about finding your identity in Christ, but what would you say to a boy or a girl that's going through something like this and having those feelings and not knowing what to do with it?
3: Yeah,
2: I, I would say that you are not alone and Christ understands your pain. He understands your feelings. He loves you beyond what anyone in this world could, how they could possibly love you, mm-hmm. and that you're not defined by your feelings. Um, and I think that we live in a culture where we're so much about feelings mm-hmm. and uh, our humanity. We find our humanity in in living out our feelings. That's what our culture does is tells us that our humanity is in living out our feelings. And, Mm -hmm. and that's not the case. Our humanity is the fact that we are made in the image of God. And that is so much greater. And so you are not alone. And there is hope there's, it doesn't mean that God's going to flip a switch and take those feelings and attractions away, but he is going to sustain you Mm -hmm. and he's going to love you. And he's going to give you the grace to bring glory to him and have joy throughout your life. Like Mm -hmm. you are so much bigger than your sexual feelings are at this moment yeah. and, and you're not defined by that and you yeah. don't need to find your identity in that because yeah. that, that's not who you are even though you're feeling that in the
1: moment that's good that's very good and the second question is how what is a way what would you tell parents or families how can you minister to those kind of people who are affected by maybe children who are lgbtq maybe grown children or even younger children like how yeah, you absolutely help them? no
2: and I, I walk they alongside uh, a lot of parents whose kids are struggling. Um, many of the times, those are crisis situations where, uh, you know, the child is college age, an adult now, and comes out of the closet, and it's this crisis situation where the parents have no idea what to do. Right. And there's sometimes when those parents obviously know and love Jesus, and they are doing a great job, and now this is just a, a, a new challenge to navigate in parenting. Mm-hmm. But many times it also reveals a lot of maybe idolatry in parents and and parents own issues is many times I get together with parents and uh, they're so devastated that their child came out of the closet and uh, I'll, I'll start talking with them. It's like, you know what? your problem isn't that your child is gay. It's that they don't know Christ. Mm -hmm. They don't know Jesus. Yep. That's a bigger, bigger, bigger
3: problem. And they've
2: never known Jesus. And, but many times it's like, you haven't been very concerned about your child's spiritual life until they came out as gay Mm because you're so concerned about how it might reflect on you. Yeah. And what comes out in some of those conversations is like, well, what will my church think if they know that I have a gay child? Right. What will my community think? What will grandma think? Mm -hmm. And so I go into those conversations uh, knowing that many times there's an attitude of, will you go fix this situation or will Uh you fix my child? And I say, I can't do that. But God has something in this for you because he uses our circumstances to reveal what is going on in our heart. Mm -hmm. And maybe there's something in this for you that you can grow and you can grow in trusting God in new ways. You never knew you had to trust him. And I can help you walk along your child and I can't fix your child. Only Jesus can do that, but I can walk alongside you as you love your child. And so I've dealt with hundreds of those situations and I've seen parents grow so much through it. I've seen parents embrace that of, of God is, can use me to reach my child Mm -hmm. and really evaluating, um, uh, you know, Um, where, where did this happen? Maybe how, how have I contributed? And I I have to be very careful because I never want to blame a parent for their child's sin because we are all culpable for our own sin and our own choices. And so scripture makes that very clear. However, when an adult child comes out of the closet, a parent can take, can take ownership and say, man, like maybe there were some unhealthy dynamics Mm -hmm. in our family. And maybe I said things that hurt my child that were very painful. And, and taking responsibility for that can show so much humility that is actually the mm-hmm. process of softening their child's heart. Yes. Now, I've right. seen parents who, uh, one of the first, the first conversations that uh, they have with their child after this moment is being able to sit down. It's like, I am so sorry that you were struggling with this for so many years and you did not feel like you could tell yes. me. And I am so sorry for what I may have said that hurt you over the years. Mm -hmm. And that level of humility has softened their children's hearts many times towards Christ. Yet I see a lot of parents also in that situation where uh, they're, they're, they're so angry and they're so bitter and they say, Uh, well, my child is so hard-hearted all of a sudden and they don't even want to talk about it. Why won't they talk about this with me? Mm -hmm. And sometimes I have to inform the parents lovingly and gently. It's like, it's no wonder your child doesn't want to talk about this with you because they heard the way that you talk about those people around your dining room table for years and years. And inside they knew they're talking about me. Mm -hmm. It's me who they're talking about. And yeah. so that's going to take years, maybe, of humility and grace and reconciliation, mm-hmm. because unintentionally, and there's grace yeah. for you as parents. There is grace in that, and God's grace is is big enough for for parents to yeah. uh, to acknowledge that. Say, oh man, I was blinded to this area, and I talk about people in a way that was not edifying. That did not show grace, Mm -hmm. not knowing that my child sitting around the table was deeply affected by that.
3: Mm -hmm. And,
2: but God's grace is sufficient for parents to move forward and to take ownership over that and show humility, the humility of Christ, their kids. And so then I think that as I get farther and farther into this ministry, I I deal with some of those situations. And so then I, I always think it's, this is so tragic. If this could have been dealt with 10 years ago instead of when his child was 22 and now came out of the closet and is hard, hard, and bitter. It's like, what if this mm-hmm. child had been able to deal with this when they were 10 years old
3: yeah. Uh,
2: yeah. and when they're 12 years old, yep. when these feelings started to develop, what, yes. how could this situation have been so much different if our churches and our families had been equipped to, to engage in their children's hearts sure. and, and disciple them, disciple them and the lies that they're believing disciple them and the feelings that they're developing, because we know that we don't trust our feelings. We say that in the church all the time. We don't trust our feelings or that our our feelings are important because they reveal what our heart is believing. Mm -hmm. And so we need to disciple our kids and help them understand from an early age, what is your heart feeling? And therefore, That's an indication of what it's actually believing in and Mm -hmm. shepherd that heart towards God's truth. And so that it doesn't snowball inside of them for, for 10 years. And then they come out of the closet at 22 and it's this big crisis situation Mm -hmm. that that goes with all of our kids, because all of our kids are developing sexuality and they need to be discipled in that. And so I think that one, one way that we've gone wrong in discipleship of our kids is that we've assumed that. As long as they're turning out straight, then that's okay. We don't need to talk about it because mm-hmm. my boy mm-hmm. is interested in girls. But uh we see what a wreck that's become in our culture because we right. have churches yeah. full men that are dead mm-hmm. to pornography.
3: Yeah,
2: And we have marriages falling apart. Yeah. And so we uh we've let the culture disciple our kids and we're okay with that as long as they turn out straight. But mm-hmm. I learned many years ago that the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality, it's holiness. Yeah. And so the goal should not be heterosexuality or straightness. It should be a heart that finds its identity and its hope and its wholeness in Christ, not in wow. a person, whether yes. that's of the same sex or the opposite sex. Wow.
0: That's great. <laughs> that's good stuff, man. It's good. Um, Let's talk about temptation. Um, I've heard... Yeah, absolutely. I've heard some folks you even wrote about this on your website about how some people think that temptation or thoughts they are they're they're not wrong it's just acting out on those mm-hmm. those temptations mm-hmm. and I love how you you uh kind of lovingly debunked that with scripture and you talked about how because some people use Jesus uh, he was tempted in the, yes. the wilderness and yes. I love how you talked about that I don't know if you could take some time and speaking of that and talk about the difference between what Jesus went through in his temptation, what we go through in our temptation, how, how that's a big difference.
2: Absolutely. That's, that's a
0: great question.
2: And so I hear, especially in dealing with, with same-sex attraction, a lot of these issues, what a lot of the Christian community says is that, all right, well, temptation isn't sin. It's only acting on it. That's sin. And so, uh, because they say, well, Jesus was tempted. And so, Obviously, temptation is not sin. It's uh, because otherwise Jesus would have been sinning. But so temptation isn't sin. So, but so I think that we can look at scripture. And one of the verses I use for that is James 1.14, where mm-hmm. it says a man is tied by the evil in his heart. He's enticed to sin by his own heart and the evil that's in it. And Jesus's temptation was always by outside forces. It was always the enemy, the devil tempting him mm-hmm. uh, because he didn't have evil in his heart. Uh, And so he wasn't enticed by the the, the evil in his own heart. And so I think that's a very too much of a simplistic view to just say that uh, that temptation is not wrong because Jesus was tempted. Jesus was tempted by outside forces, which certainly we are, too. We have an enemy that's out there to to kill and steal and destroy. But we also have evil in our heart and we're enticed by that evil. So I think we need to distinguish between between those two. And then how that plays out with same sex attraction is that there's kind of a whole movement within the side of the church, and I think that this goes with a lot of sexual attraction, whether it's gay or straight. I see many heterosexual men who don't deal with their temptation. They say, "Well, I just can't act on their temptation," and so we know at some point, t- temptation crosses over into being lust. And so mm-hmm. I think that there's there's um, a big uh, debate on what's that line? Where does that that temptation go from being just temptation and thoughts of being lust, And I think that we've moved that line way too far forward to where we're walking way too far towards sin and letting our minds continually live in a state of lust that, uh, we write off as temptation, but that's actually lust that God says is adult is adultery in our heart. And so when it comes to same-sex attraction, I think that, uh, it's really hard to, for people to accept that, um, uh, that these feelings need to be dealt with too and not just the behavior. And I think that one of the reasons why that is so hard is because we have a misplaced view of what sanctification looks like. And so many times people with same-sex attraction, they've been put in a place of feeling guilty and with false expectations of, well, if you read your Bible enough and pray enough, God will just take it away. They've been made to feel like there's something wrong with you because God didn't just flip a switch and take this away. And you don't have enough faith. And so, so they've become hardened towards even dealing with the desires because they've been had so much guilt put on them for having the desire. So they've kind of flipped another direction of, well, I'm not going to try to pray away the gay, but instead, I'm just going to accept that these are these are feelings that I have forever. And and there's a whole movement, even in our culture called Celebrate Christianity, where they actually celebrate those feelings. And I think that part of that is a response to how the church has placed um heavy yokes on them that were undue, that that said that uh if you if you know Jesus, if you have enough faith, this will all just go away. And mm-hmm. it didn't. And so they're they're overcorrecting in that because the hard place is to be is the center road where understanding that. I still have these feelings and I need to do something with them and I need to be sanctified, but I have to trust in God's timeline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have to wrestle with that t- tension that uh, there is still something about me that's, that's disordered that God wants to change. Mm-hmm. And that's on his timeline, but I need to take step after step. And that's where Christians need to be full of grace and walking alongside someone with same sex attraction that yeah. sanctification is never complete on this side of the cross. And so we, we can't put our own timeline on someone else's sanctification, yet we need to help them be obedient to what God is calling them to today and tomorrow mm-hmm. and the next day in their own steps of sanctification. And so that's hard because it's, so it's so easy to go one direction yeah, of right, legalism right. over here or complete licensure over here. Mm-hmm. Right. But the middle ground is, is where you live in tension, but there's so much grace there. Yeah. And we need to walk alongside people in grace and understand that this person with same-sex attraction, God wants something different for them, but I can't just make it simple. I can't overly simplify it. Mm-hmm. I need to have nuance and compassion and grace and understand that God has them on a timeline that's not my own, but I'm going to walk beside them every step of the way. It's
1: mm-hmm. good. That's, that's very good. good. Yeah, that's great. So we always want to equip our listeners with good my resources. resources tell us about Calibrate Ministries and its role in equipping and helping people affected by the LGBTQ agenda. And tell us also about your Great Exchange podcast.
2: Absolutely. I'm so grateful to be able to share. I started the ministry Calibrate Ministries about eight years ago. I was in college ministry and I actually uh, didn't really want to go into this area of ministry, partially because it felt like this is who I used to be. It's no longer who I am. So I don't really want to talk about this every day. Uh, but eventually I was obedient because I seen there's such a need. There's such a need in our churches because we have families who are hurting We have people who are hurting. And I want people to have better experiences, a different experience in the body of Christ than I had. And so I eventually, uh, Started this ministry, calibrate ministry, so I could equip the church to walk alongside families who are dealing with sexuality issues. So as part of my ministry, there's sometimes direct one-on-one ministry to someone who is trying to leave the LGBTQ life and or deal with their same-sex attraction. My ultimate goal is to point them back to the local church and to equip their church because it's mm-hmm. the church that God put on this earth uh, yeah. as the primary source of ministry. And so I don't want to replace the church. I should be here to equip the church. Yeah. And so I, I try to point them back to their local church while encouraging them and, and giving them someone that they can relate to. Someone with okay. Sometimes someone with same-sex traction in the church has never talked to another person who right. has struggled with it. And so, uh, so I want to encourage them in that way and give them hope and ultimately point them back to discipleship
3: yeah.
2: within their local church. And then as part of my ministry, I do a lot of speaking. I speak at churches and youth groups. And really, like I said earlier, try to help reframe the conversation and give them a gospel-centered perspective mm-hmm. on same-sex attraction, but also heterosexual attraction, and the big picture of sexuality and what God created marriage for, yeah. and what God uh, created these these human connections for, and and how people see that. Man, like we've all a uh, twisted marriage in some way. And so let's have a bigger view of marriage, a better view of marriage, where I have everything I need in Christ. Therefore, I can love another person unconditionally. Mm-hmm. And so, so that is the, the the picture I try to build for churches: is help them better relate to the LGBTQ world out there. Help them better understand the sin issues in here so that they can be transformed and not only respond to their world, but walk alongside families in the church who are struggling. Yeah. So my goal with Calibrated Ministries has always been to equip the church to really walk alongside their own people who are dealing with sexuality issues. And then as far as that we started the Great Exchange podcast. It's pretty new. We have just five episodes out, but really I now that I have a family at home and a little baby, I realized that I can't be on the road every weekend. Uh, I used to do about 60 speaking engagements a year. Wow. And it's like, I just I just can't do that anymore. And so how do I get my voice out there? And I always, I'd always loved showing up because this is such a deep issue that uh, I wanted to be personal and I wanted to bring humanity to it. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. it's important that we make it not just in the talking points, but, and, and you know, arrows to thorough people. We, we want to see, we want people to see the human aspect of it, mm-hmm. that this is real people. And so that's why I've loved showing up to churches and youth groups and conferences, because I, I can bring humanity to it and not just some some talking points. Uh, but I realized that I can't be everywhere at once. And my number one ministry is to my family. Mm-hmm. And so uh, so a way to have a bigger audience with less travel. We started the Great Exchange Podcast. And I'm so excited about it because the basis of my story many times is, is Romans 1. We exchange truth about God for a lie and worship Mm. creation instead of the creator. And God took me down this reverse course of, of revealing lies that I've believed and Mm. exchanging them for his truth. And so we talked about it on the podcast, what lies have we believed about culture and about relationships and marriage and sexuality, and let's exchange those for God's truth. And so we, we talk about those issues every week. We just talked about identity Uh, uh, last week, this week, we talked about marriage. And I've had a a man on who left homosexuality 44 years ago. And I really love showcasing testimonies like his because our culture, our culture wants to claim that people like us don't exist, Mm -hmm. but we do wherever, where there's thousands of us who have walked away Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. the homosexual life. And so I want to showcase to the church that how to walk alongside people and that these issues or these people do exist and, and we can have grace and we can show grace and we can be equipped. So we spend every week talking about sexuality, culture, but it doesn't just apply to the LGBT community. It really applies to all of us. Yeah. And so that's where I love leveling the playing field and mm-hmm. reframing the conversation on. Yeah. It's not just about the LGBTQ community out there. It's about yeah. all of sexuality because we've all twisted it in some way. Yeah, yeah. You can I, check I out the Great Exchange Podcast at thegreatexchangepodcast.com. It's on YouTube. It's on you know, all the places where people are listening to things these things these days, but the great Exchange podcast, uh, has links to them all. And then my ministry is calibrate ministries.com. Uh, and so you can connect with me on that. There's some blog posts that might be helpful. I should be writing more of them, but, uh, there's blog posts, there's videos on there. There's my testimony and some other resources that people might find encouraging. Right.
0: Is there a way also, I know this wasn't a planned question, but, um, your, your ministry, you're, you're pouring a lot of time and energy in the ministry. Is there a place on that website where people can go and help support your ministry? Oh,
2: yeah, thank you. I, I wasn't expecting you to bring that up, but I do raise all my own support for ministry. We're a five hundred one c three nonprofit. Mm-hmm. We have a board of directors that oversees the ministry and what I do, and I raise hundred percent of the funds to support my family, to support the ministry expenses. Right now, we've added on extra expenses with the podcast. Uh, and people helping with that and so i raise all that funding and so i have people who give monthly people who give yearly people who give sporadically and all that goes towards helping us uh equip the church day in and day out so if people would like to give they can do that through my website calibrate
0: ministries.com that's awesome because it's it's great material i've been enjoying reading through a lot of your blogs and listening to the podcast and one one thing that i i love about the podcast is that uh you have an awesome intro. You got that oh, yeah. whistling guy at the beginning. Uh-huh. Really cool. yeah, mm-hmm. really upbeat.
2: Yeah. That's why I hire someone to help me with it because I do not have creative skills in that way. <laughs> and so uh, it's like, it's like, I trust you, Paul, you'll come, you'll, you'll do such a much better job than I would ever do with the technical side.
0: And so yes. I'm, I'm oh, blessed by it's, that. It's well done. And oh, so I you. highly recommend it. And, and now very thankful for you taking the time to come on the podcast here. today. Absolutely. Great. Got one last question for you, my friend. Sounds Here good. We go. And I think this is a really good question to kind of to tie it all up and close out the podcast uh, you've mentioned um, how the road uh, out of same sex attraction hasn't been easy. And mm-hmm. there's times that it still isn't easy. And so we always want to point people to God's word. And you've been doing that wonderfully tonight. I love how you've been quoting a lot of scriptures but well, what kind of what passages of scriptures do you go to or, or s- different spiritual disciplines that you strive Absolutely. for, which has helped you or or still is helping you through that same yeah. sex of, uh, temptation? You
2: no, know, I think that's a great question. And uh, I have a couple of passages of scripture to share. Um, I think when it comes to uh, the disciplines, it's like I can name off all the normal disciplines of prayer and timing God's word and all those things. I think that one of them that I, it's been so essential is uh, just regular community that I could share what's going on in my heart and that they point me towards Christ. And I can process through, Hey guys, today I ran into a guy and I, my heart was drawn to him and I, I need to repent of that. And here's what I believe, why this is what I was seeing in him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I I need my heart to be transformed. And I have guys who would walk alongside me in that and and uh, help me understand my insecurities on why I'm looking for this in another mm-hmm. man and and speak gospel hope into that wow. and so I think one of the the disciplines that is probably not on everyone's radar is this regular community mm-hmm. where there is day to day discipleship and guys that I can I can reach out to and and some of them know we can't live with people. I used to live with a bunch of people, but now that i married, my wife doesn't want to have 22 roommates. Uh, I don't know why, but uh, weird. <laughs> it's like guys who are just available and uh, I can text them. And even if they can't get yeah. back to me, I know that they care. And um, I can continuously process through what are the lies that I'm believing today in this moment, That is giving me this desire. Hmm. And that has been one of the the disciplines that has really continued me forward down this path of sanctification of gaining more and more freedom Hmm. from the the sin and the lies that once ensnared me. But a couple of the passages of scripture that really sustained me through the process. One of my favorites is uh, Colossians 1.13, where he has rescued us from a dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son who he loves. And that has encouraged my heart so many times over the years, because I see that I was living in such a dominion of darkness. And sometimes it feels like my heart is still there. I've still struggled in moments over the years. It's like my my flesh is still real. But Mm -hmm. I look at this verse, like he has already rescued me. Uh, That's past tense. He has already rescued me Mm -hmm. from this kingdom of darkness and brought me into the kingdom of the, the son who he loves. The work is already done. The work has been done on the cross, and because of that, I might have moments where my heart is trying to entice me, or the world out there is trying to entice me, but the work is already done. There is already victory through Christ, and he has already transferred me into a new
1: kingdom. That's great. That's really that's good. That's excellent. I think that's a great way to end this podcast awesome. is with God's word. Thank that's you so great. much for coming on the yeah. podcast. We pray it's, that this it's my pleasure. Be- yeah it was great i think everybody will this might be one of our new favorite episodes <laughs> i think so too i second yeah. that um yeah. i really appreciate it
2: seth alcorner was pretty great it was pretty good too <laughs> and i've actually cried through some of yours i think i i text bob when i just like as i just started i was like all right i uh um <laughs> just listen to episode four and i'm a puddle of tears oh and episode so, four gets uh, everybody it's that's experience. one of our been some yeah. really great encouraging and heartbreaking but so much grace yes. that it's been shared through your podcast yeah. Yeah.
0: great this has been a great time together i i think if it's possible if you uh, i'd love for you to take a, just a few moments not too long and, and let's pray if you can absolutely say a pray for those who may be struggling through same-sex attraction maybe some Maybe there's some parents out there that are listening who are struggling on how to deal with this with, with mm-hmm. some child or somebody, a close family member. And so do you mind taking a few moments and praying? For Absolutely. Them?
2: Oh, I would love to. Oh, Lord, uh, we come to you today with humble hearts and with just so much gratitude for what you've done in our lives, that, that we've been through difficult moments. We've been through short trials and long trials and moments of pain and hurt. And we thank you that your grace has been sufficient, that you've given us hope through those different fires we've dealt with. And ultimately, uh, we, we've come to the place where even if uh, whatever happens, your grace is sufficient. And we thank you for that grace we've experienced. Lord, I pray for our world out there that is such a crazy place with sexuality issues and gender issues right now. I We, we have a world that's so full of Lies that they have believed. And Lord, I pray that you give grace to people, that you help Christians not be overwhelmed by that. I pray that you give them clarity and peace and hope and and help them see that you have already transferred us to a kingdom of your son. And the work has already been done. And we don't have to fear culture. We don't have to fear what's happening out there because your grace is sufficient. It's an opportunity for us to shine even brighter in a world full of darkness. Lord, I pray for individuals who are dealing with same-sex attraction right now. Maybe they're confused by it. Maybe they don't know what to do with it. Maybe they're identifying as gay because they've been told that that's who they are. Lord, I pray that they'd see your truth. I pray that they would see that you have something for them, that you have love for them in such a deeper, more remarkable way than the world could ever love them. I pray that they see that your grace is sufficient for what they are going through. And Lord, lastly, I pray for parents. I pray for parents of older kids who are struggling, that those parents could could have humble hearts to enter into that struggle with their kids. I pray for parents of young kids that these parents would be emboldened, and empowered to disciple their kids. that They don't have to be afraid of what our culture is teaching our kids, even though they should be aware, they should have hope that the responsibility to disciple our kids is in the home. And you have empowered us to do that. So I pray that parents everywhere in this country and around the world listening to this will have the peace and the understanding And we're the tools from your word to disciple their kids, teach their kids about healthy sexuality, healthier relationships, help their kids process through the lies that they might be believing and exchange them for your truth. We pray these things in your name.
0: Amen. Amen. Amen.
1: That was great. If you were helped by this episode or any episode that you've heard, please let us know about it. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach out by email, which is info at hope com, or through social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.
0: And if it has been a help and a encouragement to you, then don't forget to like, share,
1: and subscribe.
0: So join us next time
1: as we share a story of someone who found hope through the fire
0: and saw God turn their suffering into a victory.